Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Six months to the day when we talked with Valerie Jarrett in her White House West Wing office, now occupied by Kellyanne Conway, by the way, President Obama's senior advisor is back, and we hit a lot of topics. The congressional attacks on Planned Parenthood, her love of LGBT Pride Month, and what she makes of the excuse that President Trump should be given a pass for all his troubles because he's not a professional politician. That doesn't mean that you don't learn. Every president learns in the course of your time in office. But you, the American people have the right to expect that you walk in the door prepared for the job. Hear the rest of our conversation right now. Valerie Jarrett, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Capehart. I think this you are our first return from the Obama administration, and it's been almost exactly six months since we sat down for that first interview. What's happening? A lot. There's a lot going on. I've been busy. Mm-hmm. I've traveled extensively. I've had a little rest. I've had a chance to reflect. And, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about those those reflections. What, what did you reflect about, or is it on? What's the proper word? I reflected upon the last eight years and just what an extraordinary privilege it was to serve President Obama in the White House when our country was going through such a tumultuous period with the economy in the shape that it was when he took office and the challenges of trying to right the economy and pass the Affordable Care Act and making sure every single day we're keeping America safe and growing our economy and trying to improve our school systems. And I mean, there's so much what was going on over, particularly in the very beginning when it felt like we were drinking out of a fire hose. So it took some time to reflect and get a little perspective on on how extraordinary those eight years were. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, you, when you guys came into office, it was a tumultuous time. And it's a tumultuous time now with with the um, successor administration. And I, ju- I just have to ask you this, because I know you're going to be reticent to even go there. But just let me ask this. What would President Obama have done if he were told that a senior staffer had misled federal authorities for for whatever reason. Well, it's a hypothetical, but I can't imagine anyone who had misled federal authorities would be a part of his team. That the president would be like, that's not how we operate here. You got to go. Well, first of all, I don't think he would have ever recruited anybody to join his team who would have done something like that. We were very careful about our vetting and made sure that we brought people on board that reflected his values and his priorities and his commitment to our country. That's something we took really seriously. As you know, I was co-chair of the transition team, and starting really well in advance in the hopes that he would win, we prepared ourselves by building a very strong bench of candidates that he ultimately um, could choose from and selected people who would serve our country honorably. Mm-hmm. And what there's this line of argument out there that is driving me bananas when it comes to the current president. And it's this excuse that President Trump's not a professional politician, so he should be given a pass for what he didn't know in interactions with various people within the government from Comey to Sessions, to to whomever. Is that, just from an American 
citizen perspective, is that is that acceptable? Again, I, I look, let me read it to you this way, Jonathan. I think President Obama thought long and hard before running for president of the United States. He challenged himself to, to say, look, am I ready for this? Do I have the qualifications, the experience, the judgment, the vision? And he made a decision to do it. And once you decide to do that, then I think the American people have an expectation, a rightful expectation to think that you're prepared for the job. It's a really important job. That doesn't mean that you don't learn. Every president learns in the course of your time in office. But you, the American people have the right to expect that you walk in the door prepared for the job. Do you think the American people's expectations now are lower as a result of who's in the job? Or are those expecta- do those expectations, to your mind, still remain high? I hope they do. I think that part of what makes our country great uh, rests on the caliber of people who assume office, and I think we should expect an awful lot of them. I would, I would not want us to lower our expectations, and not just simply who's the president, but people who run for office generally. We're placing our faith and our confidence in them, and so I think um, we should have high expectations of them. You know, speaking of run for office, I keep getting these these emails from an organization called Run for Something, and it sort of is part of this whole thing that since the inauguration, there's been this galvanization of of activism of people who are just like, you know what, because of the election, I'm not sitting on the sidelines. I'm going to run for something. I'm going to protest. I'm going to do whatever. And I remember in the conversation that we had six months ago that this was sort of your hope that people would not sit by if they were upset about the way things were going. Well, our democracy and you and I have had this conversation before, is only as good as the American people demand it should be. I feel very strongly in we the people. And if we hold our elected officials accountable, then they will be accountable. And if we give them a pass, well, then they're going to do what they think is in their self-interest. And so I'm very optimistic uh, as a result of seeing the kind of engagement all across our country over the last um, six months. And and maybe some of it is in response to the election, but I think some of it is also people recognizing that they have a stake in our democracy, and not just at the federal level, but very importantly at the state and local level as well. And uh, Run for Something is one example, and the woman who founded it had worked on uh, Secretary Clinton's campaign, and after the election she said she was sitting on a couch and she thought, get off the couch and do something. And I think it's terrific. And she's uh, received a groundswell of enthusiasm for her organization, people who do want to run for something. Um, But you're not going to run for something. I'm going to really try to help other people run for something. And I think I've told you before about Michael Tubbs, who's the mayor of Stockton, who came up to me at a lecture at Stanford years ago and said he wanted to work uh, on the Hill. And I said, well, why don't you come and be an intern on the White House team? And he applied and he was accepted. And then he ran for mayor, and he's like the youngest mayor, one of the youngest mayors in our country. And I take such pride in, in what he's doing, and I want to help as many young people as possible do just that. Mm-hmm. So well, why not run? There's all this clamor for you. There's You've got um, ex- political experience at the local level in Chicago, now the federal level, having worked all eight years uh, in the West Wing of the White House. Why shouldn't people say, Valerie Jarrett, come on, you should run? 
Well, they may, but I'm just telling you what I'm interested in doing, what I'm interested in making sure that all across our country we have people like Michael Tubbs who Mm -hmm. are young and that I can give them the benefit of my years of experience and maybe save them some early mistakes I may have made. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, just because you're not going to run for something, you're not going to run for office doesn't mean that you're silent. And no. that you don't, no. that there aren't things you, you, that you're not uh, passionate about. And one of those things I know is Planned Parenthood and the efforts on the, on the Hill to defund it, to hobble it, to keep it from offering the services that it, that it offers. Why is that so important to you to take a stand on? Well, let's talk first about Planned Parenthood and then more broadly about the Affordable Care Act. So... Planned Parenthood serves about two and a half million people every year. One in five women in the course of their lifetime rely on Planned Parenthood. And oftentimes these are people who do not have access to health care, preventive care, importantly, without it. And so whether it's screenings for cancer or uh, for domestic violence or birth control, these are vital preventive services that women need in order to be healthy and sustain their families. And I find it objectionable, particularly as we're seeing now as the Senate is taking up the Affordable Care Act, that it's populated its committee with about 13 men. And I'm uncomfortable with men making decisions that affect women's health, something as important as our health. And so Planned Parenthood is a piece of a broader puzzle. And and the question I think we have to ask ourselves anytime Congress is pursuing legislation is, will this make the lives of the American people better? Defunding Planned Parenthood will not. Not uh, ensuring that the Affordable Care Act provides the benefit of being covered whether or not you have a pre-existing condition. If you take that away, it will not. If you cut $800 billion out of Medicaid, that will not make Americans' lives better. And so I'm very concerned about this potential of a passing a repeal and replacement of the Affordable Care Act that actually hurts the American people. And when you couple that with the budget that's being proposed, maternal health threatened by the budget. These draconian cuts are going to impact families all across our country, families who cannot afford the cost and the consequences if these bills are passed. Do you think they'll pass? Is there I, bi- cer- I certainly hope not. There's certainly not bipartisan support. Again, how does this benefit the American people? How does this make us healthier as a country? It doesn't. And I, I feel that it was a consequence of political rhetoric that Republicans used to try to win elections. And now they're faced with, well, we have to deliver on what we promised. We promised that we would repeal the Affordable Care Act. Well, it's not an act. It's a benefit to the American people. I think it should be a right, not a privilege. And so if you are passing a bill that's going to make quality health care impossible for a large segment of the American people, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that the House bill would throw 23 million people off of health insurance, 12 million right away. How is that a positive thing for our country? It isn't. And so I really wish that they would take a deep breath. I wish they would form a committee that's representative of our country, not just simply the men in, in the Senate, and ask themselves that question. What can we do to improve the lives of the American people? How can we make them healthier? So are you going to go to the Hill and, and help you know, bring this message directly to the senators? That thought had not occurred to me, but I certainly have really? spoken. I 
never spent a lot of time up on the Hill. As you know, when I was in the White House, my responsibility was state and local elected officials. But I certainly have spoken to a number of members of Congress and have encouraged them to stay strong and to fight on behalf of the American people. I wrote an op-ed that uh, CNN.com published about the importance of uh, preserving funding for Planned Parenthood and the important service that it provides to millions of Americans, and I will continue to speak out. Going actually up on the hill, I, I actually hadn't thought about that, but who knows? I mean, I bet you'd if be... If I thought it would help, I would go, for sure. I bet you'd be greeted like a rock star. I think what would be more powerful is what we're seeing happening at these town halls around the country, and that's when American people are showing up and and holding their elected representatives accountable and asking them the tough questions about, before you take something away from me, give some thought as to what the impact that will have on on both my family and myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really encouraged, back to your original point about people getting engaged, to having the American people show up and hold their elected representatives accountable. I'm not worried about my senators from my home state of, of Illinois. I think they will stay strong. The question is, what will the rest of the Senate do? Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of staying strong, do you think that this level of engagement and enthusiasm and, and activism that we have seen since the election and certainly since January 21st of this year, that it can be maintained for the next year and a half? I do. And I haven't seen any waning of enthusiasm. And as I said to you, I've spent a lot of time over the last six months traveling around the country. And I have not, it has not tamped down. If anything, I feel that it is ginning up and that people's um, sense of of, uh, commitment to engagement is growing. And one of President Obama's priorities for his Obama Center, which as you know, he has launched, is about civic engagement. And what can he do to create a platform for people, uh, certainly in the United States, but around the world, to engage, to help think through together in an inclusive way how to solve the big challenges that we still have as a nation and as a world. And I think it's a great platform for those who want to get involved and really solve big problems to roll up their sleeves and work together, share best practices, uh, communicate broadly so that you can imagine someone from a small town in Africa could be talking to a titan of industry in Silicon Valley and figuring out how to start an entrepreneurial company um, there. And so I'm very excited about the possibilities of the Obama Center. So it, this is June, and June is LGBT Pride Month. You love Pride Month, don't you? I do. It's a lot of fun, and we have a lot to be proud of. Uh, well, why? Well, I think, again, part of what I've reflected back on over the last uh, six months is just how we did move that arc of the moral universe towards justice for the LGBT community under President Obama's watch. So many ways, through so many different agencies in the federal government, we took a look at what we could do to be fairer. And whether it was repealing don't ask, don't tell, so that people who serve in our military can be true to who they are and not have to lie about who they are in order to sacrifice for our country, or the hate crimes bill, or um, not pursuing DOMA so that, again, the federal government wasn't discriminating against the LGBT community, to lifting the the AIDS travel ban and, Mm -hmm. and allowing people from all over the world to travel to the United States who are HIV positive or who have AIDS to our investment in 
combating diseases such as AIDS. And then, of course, there was this amazing, amazing, what felt like a thunderbolt, unless you'd been working on it for decades, uh, when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage equality. And as you will recall, when we lit the White House in the rainbow, the pride flag was just one of the most incredible days uh, in the last uh, eight years when President Obama was in office. And so I think there's a lot to be proud of. And it also is a it's instructive because a lot of the efforts around LGBT rights happened on the ground. It was a grassroots effort. And we didn't just change the laws. We changed the culture. And I think one of uh, President Obama's priorities in office was to galvanize support for reforms so that you did um, ensure their sustainability. I don't think there's anything that this administration or the next administration can do that would prompt the Supreme Court to reverse their decision on marriage equality. So LGBT folks shouldn't, don't worry. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say don't worry about that. Don't worry about marriage equality. You still have to remain vigilant. I mean, as you saw right off the bat, the concerns that we had with the decision not to continue to fight for the transgender bathroom Mm -hmm. uh, regulations that the Department of Education put out. And the Justice Department now decided, you know, not to litigate that issue. So the Supreme Court's not going to consider it. So there are certainly ways uh, in which I'm still concerned with the position this Justice Department is taking about preserving those rights. But I don't think marriage equality is going to get reversed. I don't think don't ask, don't tell is going to get reversed. And I think those are reflective of changes in culture. You know, I, the, that day, June 26, 2015, was the day the Supreme Court decision came down, the day that the White House was emblazoned in the rainbow colors. And it was done in a dramatic way. You, you guys didn't put out an announcement. You let Mother Nature do the talking. The by, sun went as down. The sun went down. The White House um, was aglow. Nick, my now husband, and I were out at dinner. We were both very tired. And we got into a fight in the cab on the way home. And I said, we have got to go see this. We, we, we have to, and I'm so glad we did, because that moment, I've said this many times, June 26, 2015, that moment at the White House is the high point in our country's history for equality. The People's House emblazoned in the rainbow colors, something no one anticipated, thought of, except for people, people on your staff, and probably won't see again. It was a great moment. But you know what? I think that's reflective of so many people, as I said, who for decades were fighting for equality. And so I think to your question, I want to make this point, Jonathan. We can never take progress for granted. We always have to stay vigilant and we always have to continue to push and keep our shoulder on that moral arc. And if you take your shoulder off of it, you can backslide and you can zig and zag. And I think you have to have a sustained, consistent effort. And that one of the lessons I learned here in Washington is just how entrenched so many are in the status quo. And for a variety of different reasons. Some people are entrenched because they make their living because of the status quo. Some people are just afraid of change. Some people see this seismic movement under their feet and they don't know what to do about it. And so they just kind of you know, retreat and hold on to that status quo. And the only way it changes is when the force of the mighty citizen pushes against it. 
And so we always have to continue to push it or we will slip backwards. You know, as a, as a matter of full disclosure, you were at my wedding. Um, it was n- a lovely n- Nick wedding. Nick and I moved up the date because we, all cried. we wanted to be married while President Obama and, and, and the First Lady were still in the White House. It was a, a great moment. We're very happy you were able to be there. I think it's the first time I've been to a wedding where the officiant cried. Yeah. Eric Holder started crying in the middle of the ceremony. Yes, our, the former attorney, then uh, the former attorney general of the United States actually cried. That was hilarious. I mean, you've seen, you've seen um, Eric Holder cry before. I have. I have. But this was a very special cry, and it set off a chain reaction. So there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And the fact that he was able to be the one that presided over it was important, I know, to you and to him. And so for us to be there in a very small, intimate setting, I felt privileged uh, to be there and to be your friend. Um, So when you were in the White House, every year for eight years, President Obama put out a proclamation if not on June 1, it hit the last day of May in the waiting hours, a proclamation celebrating LGBT Pride Month, an announcement from the President of the United States of what a great thing this is for the country. And here we are midway into June and nothing from the Trump administration. And I have to ask, why does this even matter? I mean, it is just a proclamation. It's a statement of values. And I think, I, I think for President Obama, it was important for him to, on an annual basis, remind people uh, in a very public way the values that he lived by each and every day. So that's a decision he made. But as we know, elections have consequences. And, you know, on this elections have consequences, I'm glad you, you said that because I was going to ask you about this. Because from, you know, no proclamation on LGBT month, the actions of the Justice Department no longer, you know, going after this, these insane bathroom bills, in North Carolina and, and other places, that this should be what's happening should be the clearest signal to folks that sitting at home and not voting and just complaining about things that they don't like is not acceptable. That's not good enough anymore. You know, um, when I grew up, we had eighth grade civics, and everybody had, before you start high school, you had to learn about civics. And that's not required around the country anymore. And I think that sometimes people forget or never learned how important the responsibilities of citizenship are. The minimum uh, requirement is that you vote. And in this past election, for example, 43% of eligible voters didn't vote. And so we have to encourage people to participate. Now, after you vote, I also say you have a responsibility to give back to your community, however you define your community, and get involved. And it is so enormously satisfying. I mean, I, as you know, I spent six years in the private sector before I joined local government in Chicago. And I often say that my worst days in the public sector, and there were many, were still better than my best days in the private sector. It feels good to be a public servant. I think that's something that should be celebrated and valued and taught at a very early age. And whether you do it as an employee or whether you do it by volunteering at a boys and girls club in your neighborhood, you're still giving back. And that's a big piece of what I want to do uh, in the next chapter of my life is encourage people to be citizens and to enjoy how fulfilling it is to get engaged and make a difference. And it's something everyone can do. You know, I, I, 
during an interview with Richard Branson, I sort of joked uh, about their kite contest that they had. And I said, you know, he and President Obama, he and President yeah. Obama and how how the president looked really like happy and everything. And I joked that he looks like the ex-boyfriend who looks happier and healthier after he left you. Um, it's an old joke. I'm not the first one to say it, but I'm just wondering, has the president heard that joke? And what does he think about that? That we're I don't all know sort about of like... the analogy, but I think that he worked really hard for eight years, and I think he deserved a little bit of a break. And uh, he's now you know, rolled up his sleeves, and he's working on his Obama Center. But certainly in the first couple of weeks after the election, he did get some much-deserved rest and fun, uh, and thanks to Richard. Mm-hmm. And last question, because I know, I, I know you got to go, but... Um, you had a great eight years, and you're loving you know, your, your new life, the new chapter. You're going to have to come back a third time to Happy tell to. us everything that's going on. But um, what worries you now? Well, plenty worries me now. I mean, I'm worried, uh, I'm worried about the kind of toxic nature of our discourse. There was a time when we could disagree without being disagreeable. I worry about people staying in their comfort zones. And um, now that information is on demand, uh, everyone's determining for themselves what's accurate and what's not. And the tendency seems to be to gravitate to the comfort zone and not engage with people who have different opinions. And I think we all make better decisions when we are intellectually curious and empathetic and can put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else. And so how we get people to come back to the table and feel safe, just like you and I are having a very open conversation now. We don't agree on everything, but we trust each other. and We feel like we can have a conversation and be curious with uh, thoughts and perspectives and policies. And, and I think all of that pushes you ultimately to make better decisions. And so I worry about um, this tenor. But what gives me optimism is as I travel around the country, I see so many ordinary Americans who are still just doing extraordinary things and in their local community. And so a lot of what you hear here in Washington, thankfully, they're immune to. But what I don't want is it for it to bleed into the rest of the country. And um, I want to keep that optimism and that spirit of caring about our communities and our country um, vibrant and, and um, motivated to continue. Valerie Jarrett, former senior advisor and assistant to the president, President Barack Obama. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. My pleasure. Always good to be with you, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Other, Mixed Race in America, a mini-series of stories to make you think about race, identity, and what it means to be an American. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.